It has happened. Eli Manning is back as the Giants' starting quarterback. We'll break down the Daniel Jones injury and preview Eli's return in the Giants' matchup with the Eagles in Philly Monday night with our buddy Steve Serby. Former Giants linebacker and one of Eli's teammates, Jonathan Casillas, also joins us. All that and more next on Blue Rush with the New York Post. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Blue Rush, a New York Giants podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host, Jimmy Fallon. New episodes come Mondays and Thursdays, so make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us five stars, write us a nice review. Steve Serby and Jonathan Casillas join us today. Now let's get this show on the road. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a big episode of Blue Rush. Why is it big? Because we finally have something to talk about besides drinking, therapy, and jumping off the George Washington Bridge. Eight straight losses since we launched this podcast way back when. But as my today's guest, today's co-host is about to tell us, there's something happening in Giant Land that's interesting for a change. Number 10, Mighty 10, our two-time Super Bowl winning champion, Eli Manning, will trot out onto the field uh, this week against Philadelphia, and we couldn't be more thankful as guys who have to make this show sound interesting. Steve Serby can make anything sound interesting, and he is here now to prove me right. Good morning, Steve Serby. Morning, Jimmy. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, you know what, Serbs? Well, the Fellas are still waiting for the Serbies to pull up. We we didn't have a, a Serby Thanksgiving. It was like the great the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I promised everybody the pumpkin was going to fly to the patch, and they spent all Halloween got no Serby. You gave me the wrong address, <laughs> and I believe it was on purpose. <laughs> did uh, but you drove all the way out to Long Island. My question is, did Joey Buttafuoco treat you well? Joey always treats. Is he still alive? <laughs> I think he is. I don't know. I don't, I don't know at this point. But Eli Manning's alive and he's back in the huddle. Are you? I'm excited. Are you excited? Yeah, I am. I'm. I feel good for Eli. He's obviously had the most frustrating year of his uh, Hall of Fame career, and uh, he's back in the saddle. And that uh, that certainly adds a lot more interest Monday night. We don't expect miracles from Eli now. I mean, he hasn't played in two months. Maybe he can save Pat Shermer's job. What do you think about that? You know what? I was thinking about that. I was wondering whose job is he playing for next year? Is he playing more for Shermer's job? Or is there a world where he's playing for Eli Manning's job? Is there, is there a world where he's auditioning for another team, another job next year? The competitive juices will be flowing, and Eli still thinks he's got football left in him. Now he's going to have to make a big decision after the season. Does he want to retire a giant? Or does he want to entertain and offer a starting job somewhere else if there is a starting job? Now, now he may have to wait for a training camp injury for that to happen. But, um, you know, I don't think he'd want to come back as Daniel Jones' backup. I can't see him wanting that. But, you know, part of me wants him to play if he wants to play. And part of me wants, wants him to retire a giant uh, just as Phil Sims did. Yeah, it's nice to see him go out that way. I mean, I think for Giant fans, this is kind of a gift because I didn't get the feeling this was in the cards. Like, if Jones didn't get hurt, it didn't feel like Eli was going to get, like, a Week 17 start. No, and I, he wouldn't have, knowing Eli, he would not have wanted that anyway um, because if you remember the scenario when he was benched, he didn't want to start for a half, 
and 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 then have somebody to keep his streak alive and then have someone else come in for him. So, yeah, look, it, it's not going to be easy. Philadelphia is a, a tough place. The Eagles are desperate. They're they're floundering right now. They they're a game behind the Cowboys. They need this game. The link is going to be a very, very hostile place. But the good news for Eli is he should have Evan Engram back and he could have Golden Tate back. And he'll, which means he'll have all the weapons together at once, which Daniel Jones never had. Can I tell you something? As two guys who are given uh, to gambling from time to time, uh, we've been known to lend our energy to such proclivities. I think it's a great week to bet the Giants. The reason I say that is because I can see a world where Eli throws for 330, three touchdowns, they win the game, and sports fans are such prisoners of the moment that one Eli game would be enough for half of this city to be like, Gettleman blew it with Jones. What are we doing? Fire Shermer. It's all over. Could you see, could, could anything, I mean, to me, it'd be the funniest thing in the world. Um, what is the actual line, uh, Jake Brown? What is the line on the Giant game? It is nine and a half, right? Okay, because I had seen nine earlier in the week. So if it's nine and a half, Serbs, are you with me? Are you taking the points? Well, I already made my prediction for the uh, New York Post, and I, I I took the Eagles before this change was made because of their, because they're, they'll be in desperation mode. But, you know, ironically, the, Shermer switched to Daniel Jones because he felt that Daniel Jones would give him the best chance to win, even even – after two weeks of the season. And he also wanted to start at the clock on Daniel Jones to get him ready for 2020. Um, now, I thought it was too early to, to, to take the ball away from Eli, but it, it was going to happen sooner rather than later. But uh, getting back to Monday night, Eli, ironically, may give them a better chance to win in this game because he will – he will have no problems with the environment, with the hostile environment. And also he's going to check the ball down to Saquon Barkley about 20 times, uh, which Daniel Jones doesn't do. Uh, that's the one thing he's got to learn how to do is to get the ball in the hands of his best weapon. Now, Saquon looked more like Saquon last week. And uh, I, I expect Saquon to get uh, double-digit catches in this game. And he and Golden Tate, if Tate is ready to be Eli's safety valves against a very ferocious Eagles pass rush. Yeah, well, try telling that to the Dolphins. I don't think they were impressed with this Eagles pass rush, Serby. Losing to the Dolphins is embarrassing. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw for 300 and some odd yards, three touchdowns and one interception and and, and beat the Eagles. So, um, so that's hope for Eli right there. But uh I, I worry about, from a Giants standpoint, Eli having to play engage in a shootout with Carson Wentz because, because the Giants' secondary is as bad as the Eagles' sec secondary, if not worse. Oh, it's not pretty. It is not pretty. Carson Wentz could have a field day on uh, Monday night. Yeah, well, my, my two best bets, just so we're clear, is I like the Giants plus well, nine. Let, hold on. Yeah. Let me get this down. <laughs> Good for you. My two, it. my two best bets are the Giants plus nine and a half, and I like the over 12 light poles toppled in the parking lot after the game. Because if the Giants oh, wouldn't, yeah, that is right. It's Philly, right? I'll take, and I, and I will take, I'm going to be generous. It's the holidays. I'm going to take the under two police horses getting punched because you know how those Philly fans roll. Yeah, well, how about number of eggs pelting the Giants bus as it pulls in? <laughs> what's, is, the over, I think what's the over under on Vegas that? Vegas has it at six dozen eggs pelting the team bus. I believe right now the, the win has it at six dozen. Uh, I think I go over with that. Do you go over with that, Serby? Oh, without a doubt. 
Without a doubt. I'm, in fact, I'm switching my license plate. Uh, I'm getting my New York license plate removed and putting uh, Pennsylvania on it. <laughs> you know what? I got to tell you, the one thing I give Philly fans credit for is I always say, like, in New York, like, nobody throws beer at sporting events in New York anymore because it's gotten so expensive. Like, you're not going to throw a $17 beer at somebody. But Philly fans will still throw beer, and that is dedication to hating the visiting team. I give them so much respect for that, Serbs. Oh, you absolutely. Have you ever sat at the link or the vet? Have you ever sat in that stadium? No, I've been, I, I've been the Phillies games, but I've never been to the football. I, we should do that. No, you should do it. I'll Let me know how it is. <laughs> Servy. I love it, man. Well, listen, uh, I, I'm with you on all of these bets, and uh, we will talk damn soon, uh, but not soon enough for my money. I miss you already, Steve Serby. Hey, no, and and next next Thanksgiving, I'll give you wrong directions to my place. <laughs> it's a deal. It's a date, Serbs. I'll see you soon, man. Take care. Thanks, Jimmy. See you. You can forgive our next guest if he's a little distracted this week. He is a two-time Super Bowl champion and a former Giants great, but his alma mater, the Wisconsin Badgers, have a Big Ten championship game to play on Saturday night. He joins us now to talk about all that and more. Jonathan Casillas is on Blue Rush. Good morning, man. Good morning. What's going on? I don't know. Should I should I take the Badgers plus 16 and a half? I guess that's what's going on. Man, look, man. Ohio State then gave me nightmares in my career when I played for the Badgers. And this, and this the earlier game they played was pretty, uh, you know, pretty one-sided, you know. So I'm going to stay away from that. Hopefully Malcolm Jenkins will hit me up talking crap. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm pumped up for you. Uh, it's Listen, it's going to be an exciting game. I, I, I happen to really love college football, and uh, this time of year is it in sports. You've got the best of football, you know, both college and pro. Did you play – I was going to ask you this. I know you played at Wisconsin. You played in the shoe two times, correct? Yes. And uh, is, is that an intense place to play? Like, what is the Big Ten school that's the toughest place to play? You know what? Let me, let me – uh, I played Ohio State twice, and I played in the shoe once. Uh, you know what, I I don't, for me, I, I'm on defense, you know what I'm saying? So the home games for, for defensive guys is where the crowd noise is a factor. You know, like offensively, you know, I'm not out there, you know, so I don't really, you know, get that. But Ohio State, I'm not too sure. Um, we, we, you know, I, I didn't beat Ohio State. You know, like I said, they gave me some nightmares, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, when I was finishing college or whatever. But, um, you know, from what I've heard, you know, Wisconsin, you know, playing at Camp Randall is a, is a pretty tough environment. They get pretty rowdy. Um, you know, I remember playing on defense. We couldn't really communicate that well. So we had hand signals a lot. Um, and, you know, a lot of people love to play at Wisconsin, not just because of the crowd noise, but because of the interaction of the crowd. And the culture that, that we have in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's a pretty gangster place. I mean, most people would say um, that I've talked to on this show and on other shows is that Camp Randall and in Iowa Kinnick Stadium are two of the rowdiest places you could ever play because the fans are so on top of the field and everything. Yeah, and and, and, and I would attest to, to to Iowa because uh, Camp Randall you have a lot more space on the sidelines from you know basically bench to the crowd. Um, there's, a, there's actually a, a significant amount of space. But Iowa, there's no space. They're, like, probably, like, 10 feet behind you, and, like, you can hear them talking to you, you know, and they'd be like, that play's not going to work, coach. You know, they, <laughs> you know, like, they're on top of you, you know, and, uh, and add in the, uh, the locker room factor, having a pink locker room. I guess the psychology behind that, it's like a calming effect or something like that. Um, so, so 
that's why guys go up and, you know, go into Iowa and, you know, they struggle with, you know, Iowa jumps on top of guys and it's always a close competitive game when they're playing a top five team. Yeah, it's, it's heavy. I mean, but they are. They're a really tough team at home. That's a great program. Well, I mean, you're a guy, we're talking about difficult places to play. You're a guy who played, obviously, with Eli Manning, who is heading into Philadelphia to Lincoln Financial Field, which is as rowdy as it gets. Uh, <laughs> is Eli, is Mighty Ten ready to come off the bench and handle the Philadelphia crowd this week? What do you think? I sure hope so, for the sake of the, <laughs> the Giants nation, man. It's been a tough year. You know, um, We've had a, a lot of uh, a lot of downs, some ups. Um, watching Daniel Daniel Jones play, uh, it, it has been just that, you know, uh, some ups, a lot of downs. Um, I see a lot of um, um, you know potential in him, but like you know, I, I'm I'm kind of happy for Eli. I hope he, you know, I hope he really you know grabs the reins and 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 has a good game, you know, because you know we all, you know, I think everybody in the football nation. Uh, in general, we all respect Eli. I think that's a given. You know, and now we're like, okay, Eli, what you got? You know what I mean? Like, let's see, let's see what you got. You know, and and, and it's not easy going into Philly. Uh, Philly always plays the Giants tough. Um, for the Giants going the road, uh, you know, that drive down 95. You know, um, and, and you know, I hope he does well, man. He hasn't been putting out good showing um, in, in the last year, and then even you know the first couple games this year. You know, so I, I hope I hope he can really, you know, put something together, put some drives together early in the game, and you know, make it a competitive game. Yeah, I get. Listen, that's all. At this point, we've lost eight games in a row. So yeah, we just we just want to get in a good bar fight now and land a few shots. You know, just to blow some steam off as Giant fans. And Philly is the, the best place to do it. Let's get in a bar fight. <laughs> 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 They'll thank you. They want to get in a bar fight. They'll be like, "Where's this guy been my whole life?" <laughs> Now, now, having played with uh, Eli Manning, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady, is there a difference in locker room atmosphere under each quarterback? Oh, for sure. You know, it's a it's a different presence. You know, I think Tom, Tom and Drew kind of have similar presences. Um, you know, they 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 a lot more vocal than Eli is. But whenever Eli spoke, everybody would shut the hell up. You know what I mean? Like whenever he spoke, you know, and and I was a captain with him. You know, so. I did. I feel like I did my part. You know, I was a little more vocal than I think he was um, because that's just his character. But whenever he spoke, he had the attention of everybody. You know, like you know, and and he didn't like I said, he didn't say too much, and it wasn't always the most rah rah. But it was, you know, Eli's the man. You know, he's the he's the Iron Man. You know, and and you know, he won a lot of games. He beat who we call the goat twice. You know, so the respect is there. Um, you know, so whenever he speaks, man, they listen. So, like I said, this week is going to be a huge week for the Giants, you know, and I, I hope they can really maybe get, you know, if Eli says five words, it's going to be the best five words they've probably heard all year. You know, I'm just being honest. No, that's exciting. It, it means a lot. Of, I think a lot of fans outside of the locker room who haven't been in that locker room don't realize just how much weight and respect he carries with players. You know, because we're we're living in like a talk radio world where we're really analyzing this from like twenty thousand feet. But it, it's interesting to hear you say that. What is it? What is a Drew Brees locker room like? Conversely, is it more lighthearted? Is it you know what's the difference? Well, uh, <laughs> it's a little different now than it was uh, when I played, uh, especially in the in the, in the, uh, in the stadium of the game. You know, the stadium of the game, of course, is different um, than the the 
practice uh, uh, locker room. So, uh, for, and in New England, it's, it's, it's weird because I guess it's not weird because I think Houston has it too. But the, the, the locker room is the same as the practice locker room, you know. So it's a little, it's a little, little weird in that aspect because when you go to New Orleans, that locker room is only used what eight times a year, you know, uh, you know, for the home games, you know. So they yeah. set. It, and this wasn't there when I was when I was playing for for New Orleans. They have like a club atmosphere after a win, you know. So when we when I was down there, they played the Arizona Cardinals. It was the weekend that Reggie Bush and Marcus Colston got inducted to the Saints Hall of Fame. And uh, of course, they were they, you know the, the Superdome is crazy. You know, I mean, it, it gets it gets it gets crazy. It's very loud. It's crazy. But I go I go into the locker room about you know a minute before the game's over. So you know, they're getting everything set up. They got strobe lights and uh, uh, they got fog machines. They got a DJ. You know, you come in there and it's a party. You know, the linebackers coming in, they're dancing. Davis is dancing. Roberts is dancing. You know, and it's a, it's a great atmosphere. But then Drew Brees comes in and this is his first game back from the thumb injury. And uh, Sean Payton spoke first and Drew Brees spoke. And when he spoke, man, my heart was beating, man. And I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. And he was just basically you know, he honored uh, Teddy Bridgewater and, and all of the things that he did at the time that he was gone. Uh, he honored the defensive guys, the receivers, the running backs. He went down the list. And I was like, man, I have no will to play anymore. I don't really want to play. People always like, you want to play? And I'm like, nah, I'm good. I, you know, I'm I've had my fair share of injuries to make me okay with retirement. But that day, that night, I said, man, I'll play. I'll play for Drew right now. Let's go, Drew. Let's go, Drew. You know, I got real excited, man. And, and you know, and, and Drew's, uh, I don't know if he studied psychology in, in, in college or whatever when he was at Purdue. But, you know, mentally, he has you willing to run through a brick wall for him. And, 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 and I, I feel like, I don't know if other guys are like that, but he is the top tier when it comes to that. Wow. Inspirational guy, Drew Brees. You know, it's interesting because they always say it's a quarterback league, but people don't realize to the extent, I guess, that, that the quarterbacks matter, you know, not just to ratings and fantasy football, but to the guys that are, you know, playing for them. So it brings me to the next guy, uh, the, the fellow you referred to as the GOAT, Tom Brady. Uh, you played with Tom Brady. I want to ask you this, though. In the Super Bowl against the Seahawks, when they decided to throw the ball at the one-yard line, was that as shocked as you've ever been on a football field? Yes. And I think the, the reason why was because of the result. You know, because if they would have threw it, and it would have been, a, 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 I don't know, a pass breakup or even a, even a catch. You know, a catch would have been, holy crap, we lost. Um, you know, but and, and I'm, let, me, let me take you through this play because I know, I know everybody knows what happened because, you know, we're all big fans of the game. You know, and, and, and everybody's pretty much, you know, at the end of the game, we're all watching. Like, I don't care how many people are tuned into the game. People don't really watch the, the whole game, but at the end, everybody's watching, especially when it's close. So the pass, the pass on the sideline that led up to uh, them getting to the goal line uh, was tipped by Malcolm Butler. And it went from going to high excitement of him tipping that pass to the level coming all the way down after he caught the ball, the receiver 
caught the ball, and they're on whatever yard line they're on, five, six, seven, yeah, I don't like know. Six, uh, I think, but it was insane right. to catch. And, and they were like, holy crap. And then they give the ball to Marshawn, and Marshawn almost scores, and Hightower makes an amazing play, just kind of clips his leg, and he falls down at the one-yard line. And, like, at this point, like, you know, I'm like, damn. You know, I'm looking at the clock, and, you know, Marshawn, he hasn't, he hasn't been pushed backwards probably ever in his career, <laughs> you know. So at this point, I'm like, like, like this game's over, you know. I'm like, we, we, we lost, you know. Like this is, this is tough to swallow right now, you know. And, and this is the emotion that I'm having on the sideline as I'm watching, you know, because I was like the third linebacker coming in behind Hightower and Jamie Collins. And, you know, going from like almost like a, a, a deflated feeling to all of a sudden they throw the ball and Malcolm makes the probably one of the greatest plays a DB ever made in a Super Bowl. And it goes from having a feeling of defeat to, oh, my God, we, we won a Super Bowl. Like, it, it was it was an instantaneous gratification. It was an instantaneous celebratory, you know, moment. And, and honestly, I've never had that high, low, high feeling, like, ever in my life. Like, we lost. Oh, my God, we won. You know, like, it was – it was unreal, you know, and, um, you know, if, if, if you – hopefully you can talk to more guys, and I'm pretty sure they'll kind of give you a similar answer, man. It was it was such a great feeling, you know, and I was able to speak to Russell Wilson uh, a couple months after it was kind of in a hot tub, and, uh, you know, he was, just, he was just as shocked as I was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, when the play came into the huddle, he had to be like, word? Really? We're throwing this? And it was amazing to me because they didn't even disguise the pass. I mean, they la- they lined up three wide, which was crazy to me. Um, I-, I assumed in that moment that uh, Coach Belichick was playing to let them score because he wanted to get the ball back. Wasn't that kind of the case? Nah. You still think he wanted no. to stop him there? Yeah, uh, you know, but he has his own little quirky things that he has with him in his head. But as far as I know, I don't, I don't think so. What is – um? What is a Belichick locker room like? I mean, we know nothing about it because the press conferences, me and you have said more on this interview than Bill has said in 12 years coaching the Patriots or whatever the heck it's been, 15 years. Is it a, is it a, is it a tight uh, locker room? Is it very professional or is it loose? What is it like? Yeah, you know, I feel like it is tight. It's a, it's a little loose, but not as, you know, I was in a locker room with Odell Beckham and, and that was uh, the loosest you could get, but which, you know, when, but when you're when you're winning, you know, in 2016, everything was okay. You know, within, when I played for them in 15 and 17, it wasn't because, you know, when you're losing, you can't do certain things because it just doesn't uh, 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 have that same effect on everybody in the locker room. Um, you know, but I'm going to give you one example. So from the, from the, from the Patriots, so I get there midseason, I get, I get traded from Tampa to, to New England and, you know, uh, I've been always a situational guy in my career. Of course, I started some games for Tampa. I started some games for New Orleans. But I've been a situational guy, a special teams guy and a nickel linebacker. Like, that's all my resume. You know what I mean? Like, at this point, I'm in year six. And I, uh, the media uh, comes to talk to me, and they're like, uh, you know, and, and they and they and the Patriots was like, you know, no, don't, don't really tell the media anything. Be real vanilla. I was like, all right, cool. So I'm talking to the media. And they, hey, what do you think? Uh, how do you think uh, Bill's going to use you this weekend? Because he said he's going to play you. And, uh, you know, what do you think of you? I'm like, oh, I'll play some special teams, probably some nickel packages, maybe some nickel stuff. 
uh, Burge, which is like the guy underneath uh, uh, Bilicek, I, I don't even know his position. He comes to me two days later, and he's like, "Really, Casillas? You're gonna play nickel packages? You're letting you're letting the other team know what we're doing? You know what? You can't talk to the media for two weeks." And I'm like, "What? I'm so confused." I'm like, I'm actually really good with the media, so I've heard. You know, so I was so confused. But, you know, they, they keep everything, you know, tight and sealed over there. You know, that's why, you know, a lot of stuff don't get out. You know, people are always like, oh, the Patriots are, you know, uh, uh, such a professional uh, 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 organization. And I don't disagree with that. But to say that there's a huge difference between the locker room from one to another, I don't think that's the case. You know, I think it's just it – just, guarded a little higher and whatever whatever happens in the building stays in the building you know what i'm saying that makes sense so you're telling me the patriots did have a boat trip like odb one year in the playoffs <laughs> look i'm gonna keep my lips my lips sealed all right <laughs> you're not playing nickel on the boat i understand uh <laughs> Listen, Jonathan Casillas, our fans need to know they can follow you at Jade underscore 52. Uh, you were not a situational player on this interview. You were a star. I appreciate you coming on, man. Good luck with your Badgers this weekend. Good luck. I, I, I wish you the best. Yeah, thank you. Thank you much, man. We got to block We got to block two. We got to block two. Whatever we do, we got to block two. All right, I'm on the case. You shouldn't be divulging your game plan like that, but I'm on the case. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Thanks, my man. All right, brother. All right, thank you. Let me bring in our producer, Jake Brown, as we take a look at the betting lines in the NFL this week with Brown's Best Bets. What it do, Jimmy? It's week 14 in the NFL. It's time to regather yourselves and do better than you did last week. I want to start this week with my three-team parlay. We know how much I love parlays. It's your favorite part of the segment. I do a three-team $25 parlay that gets you around 150 bucks. And listen, if you got extra Thanksgiving cash floating around, if you have so many leftovers that you can't see an end make it $50 to win 300 smackaroos go tip your mailman tip your waiter and tip anyone in the holiday season that deserves it part one of your three-team parlay give me the over 43 and a half in the Ravens Bills matchup there isn't any inclement weather in Buffalo coming at least for now and the Ravens are averaging 34 points per game you're already way past the half point there the Bills are sizzling right now both these teams have good defenses, but both of them score. I don't see a situation where these two don't get 44 or more Lock the over. Part two of your three-team parlay, hammer. Just hammer the over in 49ers Saints at 44 and a half. Listen, the Saints are putting up 25 points a game. The Niners are putting up 29 points a game. And the Saints have 26, 34, and 34 in the last three games. So they're scoring at will at this rate. It's in a dome. There's no weather conditions. I'm actually surprised that the number is not a couple points higher. So lock that over 44 and a half in the Big Easy. And the grand finale of your three-team parlay, we debut a money line bet. Take the Colts money line plus 130 in Tampa Bay. I'm riding on them to win this game. They're underdogs. Listen, James Winston is a turnover machine, and I think the Colts defense has a post-Thanksgiving feast against him and it's a huge game for Indy right now they're six and six they're in a tight playoff race they need to win badly if they want to stay alive here in the final few weeks so hammer that money line plus 130 and listen you'll win a few extra bucks for taking a plus 130 in that parlay now 
let's transition to my three best bets this week against the spread. I'll start with the Seahawks. Vegas has got to give them more credit. They are only a half-point favorite against the Rams, and I just don't get it. They find ways to win games, and they get it done. They're 10-2, and two, and they're only half-point favorite over the inconsistent 7-5 and five Rams. Locking the Seahawks to win this game in what's essentially a pick and if this game ends in a tie and you take the Seahawks at a half-point, listen, I send you my thoughts, my prayers, my condolences, because that would be the bad beat of the century. Second off in my three best bets against the spread in week 14, the Dolphins are five-point underdogs against the Jets. The Jets, who embarrassed themselves in Cincinnati, who are so inconsistent, you have no idea what team you're getting every week. And as everyone injured right now, the Jets' secondary is depleted, and Fitzmagic is going to make the defense for the Jets fits tragic, and he's going to throw touchdowns. He's going to run up and down the field. Listen, I don't know if the Dolphins win this game, but they cover. I think if they lose, it's only going to be by a field goal. It's going to come down to a field goal in the last minute or two. Take the Dolphins as five-point underdogs at MetLife. And the last best bet this week against the spread, I told you to take the Colts money line, and I'm going to tell you to take them against the spread because they're three-point underdogs, and I just don't get it. They're 6-6. Six and six, The Bucs are 5-7. and seven. One team's playing for the playoff spot. The other team's trying to decide if Jameis Winston is their future quarterback or not. I'm stunned by this, this spread. It's one of those that's begging you to bet on the Colts. And listen, Vegas, I am going to give into your mans and do it. Those are your three best bets in NFL Week 14 against the spread. I gave you my three-team parlay. So when you cash out this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to celebrate that the Mets have new ownership and their owner is rich. Pretend you have $13 billion. Pretend your name is Steve Cohen and go have a freaking party with your cash winnings. Good luck in Week 14, gamblers. We'll talk to you next week. That's it for this episode of Blue Rush. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for making the magic happen. Listen to all episodes of Blue Rush by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast platforms. You can find more Giants news by signing up for our daily New York Post sports newsletter and by visiting NewYorkPost.com. We'll be back for a Tuesday edition of the show, recapping Big Blue's big game in Philly. See you next week.